Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm April Fallon. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm your host, April Fallon. I am the mother of four adopted children, and I hope that you are enjoying season six. We have loved these stories, and we have some great stories coming up, Uh, stories from adoptees and even an interview with an infertility grief counselor, which I think is going to be really, really helpful for a lot of our listeners. So be excited about future stories coming out. And today we have a great guest. I am so happy to have her on the show. First of all, she's a mother of 13 children, but one of those little babies was born through embryo adoption. And you know how much I love embryo adoption. Please welcome Liz Grant to the show. Hi, Liz. Hi. You're so amazing. And I'm so excited for this story. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. I listen to every single one of your podcasts. So how did you hear about us? Oh, goodness. Um, just looking on iTunes, like looking for podcasts about adoption. And I had run through several others. And then yours came up. I'm like, this looks interesting. And I listened to one and it was probably in the middle somewhere. And I was like, oh, I have to go back and listen to all of them. So I went back to the beginning and just went all the way through. Yay. Where are you from? We're in Ohio now. Originally, I'm from Texas. Well, I'm excited because you have 13 children. So that just means you're a very wise mother. <laughs> Where do we start? Let's start with your first adoption. Um, My first adoption was my daughter, Ruby. She is 14. I was her foster mother. My ex-husband and I did foster care back in Texas, and we were placed with her when she was three days old, um, not knowing if it would be for a short time or a long time. Ended up being forever, and we adopted her when she was um, 16 months old. So that was my first adoption. And do you have biological children? I do. Um, I have several of them are adopted. Um, We have a blended family. So my husband had one biological child and I had six children. And when we got married, um, five of which were biological. And then we've gone on to have a couple of biologicals and quite a few adoptions for together. So. Okay. Okay. Let's bring the family together. So you guys come together as a family and you have five biological, one adopted Ruby, and then he has Mm -hmm. one. So you started with seven children. Yes. Okay. So that wasn't weird for him because he was one of 14 children, though no adoptions, but he, he was from a large family and he loved it and really wanted a large family of his own. So it wasn't weird for him. Me, I was an only child, and I really can't explain how I got from there to here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You were an only child? I was an only child and very, like, just very qu- quiet upbringing and um, just me and my mom. <laughs> <laughs> me, too. That's my story, too. Really? And so even with four children, I'm like, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not equipped. I just know right, one right. child. And so I always have to ask my <laughs> husband, like, is it normal for them to be fighting like that? Is this fine? And he's always yes. like, yeah, everything is normal. But isn't that funny that you <laughs> you were an only child and now you're managing 13 children? Yep. <laughs> that is great. Okay. So you have seven children. And how long after you're married did you decide, let's have more children? Oh, gosh. Right from the get-go. I mean, our, one of our first conversations was about... 
um, if we wanted more kids or not. And both of us were adamantly wanted more children and which I didn't think I was going to meet anyone that wanted more children. I had six. I'm like, yeah, I just should be happy with this. But he was like, I really want more children. Are you okay with that? I'm like, I am over the moon about that. And that was our first conversation. And pretty early on, we had conversations about adoption because I'm like, you know, I have heart to adopt. I wanted to adopt for my ex-husband never did. And I really would like to do like international adoption, like special needs adoption. And he's like, that's all good to me. I'm sure that'll be something we'll do in the future. And um, it just ended up being a lot sooner, I guess, than we either of us thought, but it, the opportunity just presented itself and we just felt like God was saying right now. And we, at that point, had were pregnant with our second together. So we had a bio baby that we got pregnant with probably a couple months after getting married. And then our second bio baby, when we were very early in the pregnancy, we started the home study process to, to do an international adoption. In what country? Ukraine. And we were going specifically, I had, before I ever fostered Ruby, um, I found Reese's Rainbow right when it had started. It's an international uh, adoption ministry. Mostly back then it was almost exclusively children with Down syndrome. Now it's a lot of other special needs too. And it got my heart and I wanted to do it from back then, but my ex-husband was like, no, not interested. So I just kind of tucked it away and I would give money whenever I could to families or children. And I followed it that all those years. And so I was like, this is what I want to do. And I feel like God's saying right now. And, and, and my, and my husband, bless his heart, wasn't like, you're crazy. We're about to have another baby. He's like, that's a great idea. <laughs> what? He's a special guy. He's amazing. He's, he's great. We're great <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, who is the break in this family? I don't think there is one. We're both just like, whenever we feel like God wants us to do something, we're like, let's do it. Like, <laughs> I love that. So. You're a team. And that's so, yeah. so important in this. My husband is like that too. In fact, the other day I said to him, are you an angel? Like, tell me for <laughs> real. Are you an angel? And you're just like sent here to be my husband and like teach me how to be a better person. He's laughing. He's like, I don't think so. Do you think I would know? I'm like, yeah, probably. <laughs> but it just, he has got a good heart. And I, and I can understand what you're saying is it's, there's no convincing. Not that there's anything yeah. bad when you have to wait for your husband's heart to change, but it's just wonderful when, when a father loves children right off the bat. I mean, Noah always yeah. knew he was going to be a dad. He always wanted many children and he's a wonderful father. And right now, if I said to him, I really want to adopt, he would probably hesitate, but he would definitely in the end do it because they're children right. that need homes. And it sounds like your husband is like that as well. Absolutely. I think if we got called tomorrow about a child that, you know, we both felt was a fit, he would it wouldn't there would be no convincing if he felt like this is what God wants to do and this is what we're equipped to do he'd be like yes like he wouldn't hesitate so what was the process like going to Ukraine um I, I guess I mean since I've never done another kind of international adoption I know it is very different than many countries because it's not a Hague country so the process is slightly different um, from what I've been told, but I've not done the process through another country, but it was like less than nine, I mean, no, nine months, exactly, that from start to finish. So you do your home study, like any adoption, and 
you're starting to compile your dossier at the same time. Um, our home study agency had not really had much experience doing international adoptions. I don't think she had done any in Ukraine. So it took a lot of like back and forth between our facilitator and our home study provider to get what we needed. You know, so much paperwork, so much driving, so many back and forth redoing of paperwork again and again, because Ukraine is very particular about like the way your signature looks, about the wording of things, about where on the paper the notary ended up being. So I just remember being so overwhelmed with the paperwork because it was never right. You'd have to redo it and a little bit stressful. And I was pregnant. So it was like, (laughs) were they like, are you sure you want to do this? You're pregnant. You have many children. Or were they just Um, so excited for you? Goodness. My home study provider, pregnancy didn't throw her off. She didn't know why we wanted to do international adoption. She was like, let's just do, you should just do domestic. Like, this is so much more work, so much more money. There's plenty of children that have special needs here that you could adopt quickly and easily. And why are you making me do this extra work to do this home study when you could just have a domestic one that you could get what you wanted? But we had already found the children that we wanted to adopt and we'd seen their faces on Reese's Rainbow. And we were like, no, these are the kids we have to get out. And it took a little bit of convincing on our part to her that this was a good idea, but it didn't have to do with the pregnancy or us having a lot of children. It was more that she thought it would be a lot easier and a better idea if we just did a domestic special needs adoption. But you knew those were your girls. Yeah. Yeah. We were set from beginning when we saw their pictures. Um, Like he saw Ren's picture and he was like this one. And I'm like, I was like open to whoever. I was just so happy we were doing. I'm like, sure, that one's great. But then I, we were only going to do one. (laughs) Then I found Hannah's picture. And I was like, what about this girl? Um, Hannah has cerebral palsy. She's in a wheelchair. Um, which was seemed at the time significantly more needs than Ren's seemed as far as what information was given to us. And I'm like, and her. And he's like, um, you're pregnant. Um, this other child has going to have a lot of special needs. She's 10 years old. You want to adopt another 10 year old that's not related that has, that's in a wheelchair. We live in a small house. It's not wheelchair accessible. We don't know what we're doing. And I was like, oh, you don't want to. Well, okay. And all I said to him, I didn't want to argue. I didn't want to plead or because I wanted him to be 100% down for doing whatever. So I said something to the effect of, yeah, God doesn't usually call us to do easy things. And then just left it. <laughs> and not two days later, he calls our social worker up and tells her all about this other little girl and says, we want to change our home study to two because this little girl needs to get out of where she is. And we're going to adopt her. And then he calls me and tells me this. And I'm like, what happened? He's like, I don't know. I just changed my heart. And I just decided you were right. Like this is, and I'm, I had not done any work to try to convince him. It was all just him and God. And, and he told the social worker for me. So wow. then we changed our home study to two. So tell me what that process was like. Did you have to go over there and get them? Yes. So we had to go three times at the time. Probably look up. If we had adopted a few months before, it would have only been two trips. But they like Ukraine changed their process and added like a 30 day wait period after court. So then you could not stay in country. You had to leave and come back for the pickup trip. So it was like a meeting trip where you meet the child and say, yes, I want this child. And then you go on a trip for court. 
um, like several weeks later and the child is officially yours, but you can't leave with them. You will leave the country and then you come back after the 30 day wait and you get to get them out of the orphanage and go around to all the different appointments. You have to go to multiple cities to get multiple forms and then do their medicals and embassy stuff. And then you can leave. So the first trip was a week. Second trip was a little over a week. And then the third trip was almost three weeks. So it was a little bit grueling. Did you have your baby at that time? Yes. My baby was born in December and our first trip, trip one was in January. We had to go to our regional passport office, which was like several hours away to get an expedited passport for her, for a newborn. Um, because it wouldn't have come in time because we already had our date that we had to be in Ukraine by. So we got her an expedited passport and we took her when she was like five weeks on trip one. And then trip two was at the end of February, took her again. And then trip three was end of March into April. And she went then too. Wow. You guys are exciting people. (laughs) We like to keep busy. <laughs> That's a lot. Now, when you met the girls, mm-hmm. how were they? How were they? They were in different facilities, very far apart, but in the same region. And their facilities were very different. Like Ren was in a internet, which is like a school and a boarding house orphanage. It's for school age children. They do school in one building. They live. They have living quarters in another building. There's huge playgrounds. They do field trips. It was actually, on the scale of orphanages, one of the really good ones. And the people there were super kind to her and did really care about her. But she was medically and educationally lacking greatly, um, as most orphans are. Hannah, however, was in a like an adult mental institution. Uh, they had both been in the same baby house in that region because there was only one baby house. But at Six, they split the girls and they moved one to the internet for school and they moved Hannah to the adult mental institution. So she had been there for four years and it was the most depressing, horrible, just it, it, if you've ever watched like documentaries about mental institutions here in America back in the fifth that got closed in the fifties and sixties, um, those places, that's what it's like there. There's, no real art on the walls. There's no activities. It's just big brick buildings that smell bad with babies, children tied up in cribs in rooms. And it was a horrible place and not, not good at all. I bet you just wanted to take her right away. Yes. And you have to leave them. It was horrible. We visited as much as we could on the trip. And one of the trips we went on the weekend and she was obviously drugged. Like she was just different and turns out in on the weekends they give them like drugs to so that they have less can have less stuff and they don't have to like do anything with the kids so she, they didn't expect us to be coming on a weekend and when we came she was just it was it scared me because I was like she's something's wrong with her but um, we learned later that that was typical at a lot of those facilities to just give them drugs that make them barely awake so that they don't have to feed them as much or do any activities or monitor them. Oh my goodness. That's heartbreaking. So you bring them home and okay. So you have nine children, you bring them home and now you have 11 children. Yep. 
And that just wasn't enough. You were like, we're just so bored. We were. We were so <laughs> bored. We moved. No, we had to move cross country a few weeks after or a few months after getting the girls home and getting all their we had major surgery. Then we with Bren with her heart and then we moved across the country. So we were in Oregon at the time and then we moved to Ohio. And um, once that settled down a bit, we got an itch to do a home study for <laughs> domestic special needs baby. We were hoping for, we were really hoping for a baby. And particularly this journey was because we wanted um, my daughter, Ruby, who is African-American. We, she wanted a black sibling. She said, I want a child to look like me. I'm the only black child in this house. And she was old enough to really voice that she wanted a sibling that looked like her. And so we were like, well, we can do that. We will do a domestic. I mean, we would not be adopting just a straight, healthy infant because, you know, we have a lot of children and we definitely wouldn't be picked and we wouldn't want to take from that pool. But, but we have special needs experience and there are kids that might be harder, much harder to place that would be a great fit in our home that could be a great fit here. So we did a home study just for that for special needs, particularly like special needs like spina bifida, cerebral palsy, orthopedic, heavy orthopedic stuff. Cause we felt like we really had experience from having had Hannah to go. Yeah, we can, we can do this. I have a lot of questions for you about when you brought them home. I wish we could go on and on. I want to know how they acclimated. I want to know how the other children got along and how was it when they first got to your house? Was it so different? Did they attach to you? All those questions. Can you answer mm -hmm. that really quickly? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's different for each kid. And I would have given you different answers like a few months in than I would now, because now I feel like they're both really comfortable and they, you know, everything has kind of come out. Like, you know, you know, everything now. Um, and whereas, you know, a few months in, I didn't. And also we've been able to tackle all the medical stuff, which was a lot, so many specialist surgeries, um, therapies. So at this point now, um, I would say that um, Ren is very healthily attached and I feel like she attached very quickly um as far as like just acclimating her to family life and everything i think the therapies that we did and um, actually getting on medication for her add and getting her medically like all her surgeries and and stuff that she does helped extremely to you know bring her into just normal kid in a in a family from before where she was almost feral kind of, kind of the kids just run wild at that orphanage like it was like lord of the flies that's what it reminded me of like she now knows what it's like to be in a family and what everybody's place is i feel like she's well attached and settled um hannah it's 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 harder because hannah needs is a full-time kid she needs full-time care because of her cerebral palsy she doesn't walk without a lot of assistance a lot of she, the devices she uses mostly wheelchair. She needs help with everything, and she was in a horrible, horrible place. I wish we could have got her sooner because I know that a lot of the issues that she has towards attachment and just towards being a normal kid in normal life is all from trauma, 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 trauma that she's been exposed to and dealing like if she was a developmentally normal child, like 
um, she's 14. If she was in her brain 14, I would definitely be saying this child is a kid with rad, but she is like a child that's more like three, sometimes younger in her brain. And she will always be close to that. And she will always need full-time care. So the things that you do for a kid with rad don't work with a kid like Hannah. Um, She doesn't have the understanding to have long conversations to make, to take her back to being a baby to give her that attachment. Well, she already gets all, all that. The the full-time care is has to be. So we're l- having to learn new things and just figure it out as we go. Cause there really aren't books about kids like Hannah. There's not specialists that understand her. There's, there is nothing except for a couple of other parents I know who've adopted from very similar situations, an older child who's a full care kiddo that came from a situation like Hannah. And those are few and far between. So it's very different because there is no manual for it. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe the show can connect you to some of those resources as well. But I have to ask you the same question I asked Noah. Are you an angel? Like how amazing (laughs) that you have done this for, for these kids, for especially one with such high, high, physical needs and that will be her life and that will be your life. Is that overwhelming to you at times? There are moments. Yes. Um, but I remember that I, I told God long time ago, I'm all in for whatever you have for me. Like there, and there have been hard things that I've gone through my life and there's been great blessing, but it doesn't matter. I'm all in. And so this is, I'm quite sure his voice was very clear when he said, this is your daughter. And I, these are your daughters. These are your children. Each time, each time has been very clear there. So there's not a lot of time spent thinking like, what was I thinking? Well, well, what I was thinking was I'm doing um, what I'm supposed to. So I can't see any other way that I would want to be. I, I think this is, this is the life that God has for me. I'm quite happy with it. Um, and I enjoy children. I'm definitely no saint <laughs> and no angel, but I I really enjoy parenting. I really enjoy um, homeschooling my kids. I didn't know that I enjoyed the medical side of things, but I actually do. I wouldn't have thought that. I would have never guessed that I would enjoy, you know, talking to specialists, um, dealing with medications. Uh, doing all that stuff, I would have said that is the last thing I want to do if you had asked me when I'm 20 what I wanted to do. But I actually enjoy it. I feel like I'm very good at, you know, um, organizing everything and keeping everything in line and making sure everybody gets what they need. I feel like I feel fulfilled. I feel like this is my calling and I'm fulfilled and I'm very happy doing this. I love that. I love that you found your calling and that your works are helping so many children. I want to talk about Ruby because Ruby reminds me of AJ in the way that he is the one who continued to push us to keep adopting because the same reason that Ruby had too is that he said, you have to adopt a child that looks like me. But he didn't say that because he was little. So he said, you have to adopt a baby with my hair, my same (laughs) kind of hair. And I said, well, why don't dad and I just have a baby? that baby wouldn't have my hair. 
(laughs) You're right. Okay. And we had brought home Lily, but she is Hispanic and he just wanted to identify with another child. Didn't mean he Mm -hmm. didn't love Lily, but he wanted someone that looked like him in our family. And that propelled us to go forward and to keep going. And we ended up going and going and go right we said yes to five more and and you know we only finalized on two more but i didn't think we'd be a family of four for sure that was totally beyond what i thought i could handle and so to think that you to make ruby dream come true you were going to add a 12th and a 12th that had special needs tell me about adopting that little sweetie because when i post this picture of this little guy he is adorable all your kids are adorable but there is this like sparkle in his little face oh i know he is everywhere we go everyone is fawning all over him you cannot help but love hezekiah he is he he takes the whole room and gets everybody's attention um well we knew we wanted our requirements were we want a child that is black or at least biracial but we were really hoping for a full african-american child and Ruby was hoping for brother. We were open to either. And we have a long list of special needs that we would be fine with. But I honestly had had it in my heart. And I don't even know exactly why. But I was like, I was spina bifida. I knew so little about spina bifida when this seed was planted. And honestly, we learned most of it after being placed with Hezekiah. But we were like, yes, a kid with spina bifida. That's what we want. And I don't know that person back then what she was thinking because she didn't know anything. But I mean, I'm glad that I made those choices, <laughs> but I know a lot more now. Um, so we, we, we got our domestic home study with a special needs adoption agency that's no longer functioning, unfortunately, but um, they were in our state in Ohio. So it was, they were our home study agency and we were registered with their like national registry. And over the period of nine months, we submitted on like situations would come up and you, if you wanted to submit on for that child to be shown to the birth parents, you would, you would submit your profile to them and say, yes, I want to submit. We submitted on 10 children that we were not picked for. Some, most were babies. A couple were toddlers weren't picked. It was very disheartening because, you know, when you get rejected that many times, you're like, I'm never going to get picked and this is never going to happen. But um, we got, called about Hezekiah. They didn't even post him. They just straight up called us because the mother's, what she wanted specifically was a family with a, an African-American child. And that because they knew he had spina bifida, he was already born. They knew what families on their registry would take a child with spina bifida, which was for some reason at that time seemed to be a hard uh, child to place because they had recently had a child that they had to go to Facebook for to try to find a family because the 60 people on the registry, none of them said yes. So they just called us and they were like, we have this baby boy. He's born in Georgia. He has spina bifida. Are you interested? And we were like, absolutely. Hands down. Yes. Like, I don't even need to ask my husband. Yes. And um, they called us like that same night and said, they picked you. And we packed up everything, packed kids in the car and drove overnight to Georgia so that we could meet him in the NICU and sign papers so that he could be ours. And then, of course, you wait for two weeks in the state until ICPC clears, and then we got to bring him home. His little wheelchair is too much. (laughs) 
His little wheelchair, I have to put a shout out to Bella's Bumbas, B-E-L-L-A-S-B-U-M-B-A-S. They make wheelchairs for children like Hezekiah, for babies and, and young toddlers. Um, and they're free. You only pay shipping. They make those wheelchairs. And it was a lifeline for him because the insurance will only cover a, a wheelchair every five years. And you know how children grow. If I were to have got him a wheelchair at one, it would not have fit him when he was six at all. So they, they give these wheelchairs to babies so that they can get mobile sooner. It also takes like nine months from when you start doing all the measurements and stuff to actually get the physical wheelchair in your hands. It can take that long. So this, we applied for it and they sent it to us within a month. He had it. And within hours of having it, he was wheeling himself around the house. He was like 15 months old and he could go around the entire house. And it was a game changer for him. And I bet your other kids wanted one as well. Kids always want <laughs> wheelchairs. Yes. The ones that can fit in it will still like Ezra, the baby, he, he hops in it and will feel it if Ezekiah is not in it. My now turned four-year-old will hop in it occasionally and wheel herself around in it. So yes. He is so cute. Mentally, he's okay, right? He talks. Yep. He is developmentally totally normal except for his legs and um stuff that has to do with spina bifida like bowel and bladder stuff so he can't walk normally but he but like mentally i mean and like talking emotionally everything he is just your normal two-year-old <laughs> and you said he brought your whole family together yes yes like i have so many pictures of ruby and him getting their hair done at the same time. Like I'll be working on doing Ruby's hair and like my 17 year old daughter will be doing his hair. And they just like, he'll come over and like brush on Ruby's hair. Like with the brush, they're trying to like, they're, it's just this bonding that you can see on her face when she's like holding him or Ezra that just, she loves all her siblings, but she loves them a little bit more. Aww, <laughs> you know? I bet she was like, so happy. Their cornrows are too yes. cute. And, and they were, and she got two brothers and she wanted a brother. She was like, I want a brother. Ooh, I can't wait to get to the brothers. second brother. You know, I'm so excited. But you said yeah. that every kid has to give him a hug before he goes to bed. Hezekiah. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. He will want, he will demand to be taken nicely. I would not say demand. He's like, mm-hmm. and, and Papa hug and Mama hug and Ruby hug. And so like Sebastian or I, or his dad, one of the bigger people will carry him all around the house to find all the people to give hugs to before he goes to bed. (laughs) So cute. That is so cute. So let's move forward to the last baby. Ezra. Ezra was technically adopted before Hezekiah because I adopted a batch of embryos in August and um, Hezekiah was born in October. Um, I heard about embryo adoption from your podcast. Like I had never heard about it. I, it was my first introduction to it. And then I just started researching like mad because I was fascinated, um, by this. Um, I, we adopted a batch of embryos in August and we were we were in the process of doing a cycle in, in October when we got called for Hezekiah and, we were just proceeding on as normal. We were like, well, I guess we'll do it. We were in the medications. Like we were taking, I was taking the medications and um, doing the ultrasounds and all that, but um, God had other plans and was like, put a pause in this because they canceled our cycle. They said, Oh, your lining grew too thick. We're not going to do it this month. And once they put a pause on that and I had this newborn 
like, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna just wait. <laughs> okay, a few months to so you decided do to do embryo adoption before you got Hezekiah. Yep. And and I remember this because you had struggled so much to get matched. You're like, oh my goodness. Yeah. With ten ten times we oh would applied, and I was like, we're never gonna get picked. Okay, so you're about to do a cycle, but then you get a call about Hezekiah. So yep. the timing is off. You bring home Hezekiah. How long after until you decide yes? So we decided to do a transfer cycle in February. So Hezekiah was born at the very beginning of October, and then we went in February. We flew to Florida with him, and he actually sat on Michael's lap when they were doing the transfer. We have a cute little picture of him sitting on Michael's lap and everybody in the room is wearing masks because it's like a medical room, but they let him come in and he was just sitting there mm-hmm. on his lap. See the cute little fat baby. <laughs> what year was this? Uh, this was 2020 because a month later, all the shutdowns happened. How long until you got pregnant? I was pregnant that cycle. So oh my gosh. We, we, yeah, we transferred in February. We had five embryos that were two day. They had been frozen in 2013. We did not know if they were all going to like, cause they grow them out to like five day. And that was the plan. They would implant at five days. We didn't know if they would all grow out if someone would die or not, because they said that was a high likelihood because of the way they were frozen. So when we showed up that day, we were like, how many grew out? And they were like, well, all five grew out. They're all really high quality. Do you want us to put in one or two? And we're like, um, Probably one. <laughs> One's good because we were like the, the doctor said, "I'm I I wouldn't mind if you had twins, but you know if I put in two, the chance of you having triplets is like blank blank percent." And that freaked me out. I was like, "Um, I don't want triplets. I have a baby right here. I think one is good." <laughs> so we put in one, and it took. Um, so we were successful the first try. You really felt like adopting an embryo was so important. Why is that? Well, it's funny because like when I, I listened to all your podcasts, read all this stuff before I ever brought it up to my husband, because I was like, he is going to think I'm verifiably crazy. So I waited till I had all the information and I brought it to him. And at first he's like, why would, if you want to be pregnant, let's just have another baby. And I'm like, but I want a black baby. I want to give Ruby a sibling that looks like her. I said, we only make white babies. So we can't make a black baby. I can't give her that. They won't have Ruby's hair. They will not have Ruby's hair and Ruby wants somebody who looks like her. And I'm like, I can't do that. And um, he's like, yeah, but we, we'll, we'll just adopt. And I'm like, we're never going to get picked. And he's like, these are not reasons. And then I was like, well, think of it this way. I'm like, we could have another bio baby. But right now, there's just thousands of lives that have already been created that are just like frozen waiting. Like, there's children who are already created. I mean... Yeah, they're not in an orphanage, but they're also not in a womb. They're not growing. They're not living life. They're just frozen and they could be destroyed. Like, but there's parents that have made the decision that they don't want their babies destroyed and they just need homes. They need somebody who can carry them. And I'm like, and we're fertile. I'm pretty sure that if we, you know, transfer one, that baby will live and then we give it a life. And I want to be able to do that. If we, if I can carry a baby, why not carry the baby that's already been created. And that was logic that he was like, you know what? That makes sense. Like I, I will, I could get on board with this. And that's how he decided that, yes, we should do this. And at the hospital, when you gave birth to an African-American baby, 
Was everyone like, what? I thought they would be. I was for sure they would be. But and he was super dark when he was born. Everyone said, oh, he's probably going to be light and you're not even going to be able to tell. No, no, no. It's like 10 seconds after he was born, they laid him on me and I have a picture and he is so dark and I'm a redhead. So I'm quite pale. Um, but no, because everyone was too busy freaking out because I, the nurse delivered him <laughs> because the doctor didn't make it in the room and the, a code got pulled so that there was like 20 people in the room all of a sudden after he'd been born. So everyone was just freaking out because a code had got pulled and there was no doctor and they were too busy worrying about that to even blink an eye at his color. Ah, uh, well, good thing they saved a life. And they weren't concerned about his ethnicity. But I always say that that would be like that moment where you give birth and Noah's in the room and all the nurses are delivering an African-American baby. And then they look at Noah like, I'm I'm so sorry. Did you know? And he was like, why me? (laughs) And then we would laugh and say, just kidding. This is embryo adoption. Anyways, that's just my whole thing. I worked out in my head. So it didn't work out like that at all. But I'm glad the baby was healthy. And I loved when you said to me when we pre-interviewed how challenging it is to be nursing an African-American baby or be in the doctor's office and, you know, mm-hmm. say I gave birth to him, but he's adopted. I mean, those are things that are challenging and confusing to people. Right. Like, I think most of the time when people do embryo adoption, they adopt within their same race. Most like 99% of the time, at least all the people that I've encountered online and such. So you have to explain what embryo adoption is to almost anyone. If you say he was adopted as an embryo, you're going to have to explain what that means because people are going to give you a blank stare. Um, But most of the people who are adopting inside or doing an embryo adoption inside of their own race are not going to have to explain that for very many reasons. There's not very many times, only at baby's doctor's appointment do they need to explain that. However, when your baby does not look anything like you, and it is very obvious, he does not look at all biracial, he's obviously not in any way genetically linked to me. I, the questions happen all the time and everyone assumes he is adopted. And I, if I'm out in public and he wants nurse it's I get these looks these looks that I wouldn't normally get nursing a white baby it's like what is going on right now that kind of look and it's something I had not really thought about or expected I guess um yeah I, I it was it threw me for a bit of a loop because it's so conspicuous like there's this white woman nursing this very black child and I feel like I have to explain to everyone you know how how this happened, why this happened. And I don't think you're usually put into that scenario if you're adopting an embryo inside your race. People are just going to look and assume you gave birth to this child. But they look at my child, assume I didn't give birth to him, and they're wondering how or why I'm nursing this child. Mm-hmm. Are you the wet nurse? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Are you the babysitter and you're also the wet nurse? We do get, are you the babysitter a lot? Um, And I do, I do know that we've had stories where adoptive parents have actually done what you have to do to nurse the baby, not even carry the baby. So it is possible to do that that way. And I do think that embryo adoption is going to become more and more common because like you said, it is a life that deserves to be lived and your womb and family gave that child that option. And one last thing before we leave, you said something really cool that 
you might have a friend that wants to carry because you said all five were viable. You might have a friend that oh, is yeah. going to carry and then she will be carrying your child's sibling. Right. I have a, well, she is already, she already has the person that I know that we would give our remaining embryos to if we, when we're done, because we aren't going to do it four more times unless they were failed transfers. You know, if, they, if the next one's successful, probably that would be it for us. And we would still have three viable embryos. She is the parent to one of his genetic siblings. So we found her kind of by chance, but he has a, a, a genetic sister that's a, a baby and they had a batch, but they lost the other embryos. So they only had her sister and they would like to have more children. So if I give the embryos to them, then yeah, more of his genetic siblings would go to a home that already has a genetic sibling. So, and we're friends with, so I get to see them grow up. So oh my gosh, that's, cool. that's a whole nother podcast. When you yeah. do that, you, I want to do a whole story and I would love to have you back on the show again. Hopefully next month we're going to do a transfer. Oh, it's so exciting. Thank you for coming on and sharing your beautiful story and all of your amazing adventures with your husband and your 13 children. Thank you for having us. And thank you for listening. If you have an adoption story you would like to share, please email us at afallon at com. See you next episode. <laughs>